and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Whenever I am called upon to give a sermon, as rare as it is, I, I always let my two brothers know when the next time is going to be and where it might be at. Upon the off chance that one of them might drop by, at least via the internet. And you know what? Just about every time I let them know this, at least one of them will ask this, this same question, when are you going to bring a real fire and brimstone message? See, that's what, that's what they want. Well, bros, today's the day. Well, it's as close as I'm going to get anyway. You know, in some ways, this is a last day. Now, it's you know, not exactly the last day. You know, don't, don't be mistaken. But it is the last day before the last Sunday of the church year. You know, that's, that's kind of a last day, isn't it? Because uh, we actually have like six more days of what we call ordinary time, you know, where we wear the green... Uh, sash I would wear, and the altar, which now it's all up, up top there again, but it would be green for the, for the ordinary time, season, then Advent springs upon us. But the last Sunday of the church year is always focused on the end times. So what does that mean? Well, for some it means that we're headed for a disaster of biblical proportions. Old Testament Real wrath of God type stuff. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness. Earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Thanks to popular media and the occasional end times guru spouting some nonsense or other, this particular vision of the apocalypse brought to you here, courtesy of the Ghostbusters, in case you didn't recognize it, it, it's become an all-too-common belief held by nearly everyone who has a merely casual knowledge of Scripture. However, the word apocalypse itself doesn't mean anything like that. The concept was borrowed ultimately from the Greek word apocalypsis, meaning uncovering or disclosure or revelation. See, that's why the last book of the Bible is named the revelation. It's the the unveiling or revealing of Jesus Christ in his fullness. There are parts of John's magnum opus that describe some increasingly dire situations here on earth as you read through it. But, you know, for every time a new disaster is laid out, John changes the vision to show what's going on in the heavenly realm, revealing that through it all, Jesus is sitting upon the throne, the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world in control of even the most troubling of times. Now, speaking of dire situations, in our gospel reading for this day, Jesus is wrapping up his increasingly troubling vision of the coming kingdom, especially 
the part when the people will come face to face with the returning king. Remember the stories we've gone through the last few weeks? Things didn't work out so well when the king came back to find the disappointment of his people that he left behind. Well, Jesus' words in Matthew turn to judgment for those who will stand before him on that last day. Jesus is giving us a foretaste of what is known as the great white throne judgment, which is found in the 10th chapter of the book of Revelation. But he introduces it by comparing his own, his people, to sheep of all things. He says this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels are with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats out here on the left. (laughs) But why does Jesus liken us to sheep, do you think? Well, sheep are notoriously carefree creatures who, when left to their own devices, tend to wander away from safety and security and get themselves into all kinds of difficulty. It's just like us humans do, right? Jesus is pointing us back to Ezekiel 34 that we read from, reminding us of what God has in store for his sheep. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. However, he doesn't have only kind words for it his sheep, not all of them anyway. As for you, my flock, this, this we didn't hear from the reading, it's, it's the space in between. I just wanted to add it because I liked it. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet on on the rest of your pasture, and to drink of clear water that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet. And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet, and drink what you have muddied with your feet? You see, some sheep live with little regard for others, taking what they feel entitled to and leaving a mess for the others to clean up. This sort of behavior among believers can cause distress in the congregation and bring charges of hypocrisy from those outside of the company of saints. But the Lord says that these actions won't go unnoticed. He says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. 
Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. See, this is where the separation of the end time flock comes into play as sheep and goats are shunted off to the right or the left hand of the Almighty. Well, then what, what's, about, what, what's this about goats? What, what's with them? Well, in the Bible, goats are wilder, bolder creatures than your typical placid go-along-to-get-along sheep. They're the ones that climb the craggy peaks and push their way to the head of a flock, you know, probably to get a better view. But most importantly... Goats are a key part of God's sacrificial system. On the highest day of the year for them, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, which just passed not too long ago, the high priest takes two goats before the entrance of the holy place and tags them both, puts a tag on each one of them. One says, for the Lord. And the other one says for Azazel. Now, the, the meaning of that word Azazel is debated by, uh, by scholars. It has been for centuries. But from what I've read, it most likely just, it, it combines two Hebrew words that refer to a goat that's going to go away. Because that's what's going to happen. And... This idea became reflected in the English word that's come to us, scapegoat. You've all heard about scapegoats, right? Well, that comes from a scapegoat. They dropped the E from the front and made it scapegoat, just to make it a little shorter and more, it grabs you a little, a scapegoat. That just doesn't sound right. But the scapegoat is the one who bears the sins of the people because the other goat, the, uh, the goat for the Lord, gets slaughtered as a uh, sin offering for the people. And then its blood is, all of the blood is painstakingly applied upon and before the altar of the Lord. And then the priest, after much ritual washing and preparation, so that he can be perfect for this job, he lays his hands upon the head of this second goat. And he makes confession for all of the people, all of their sins, the, the, the intentional ones, the unintentional ones, the really bad ones, the not-so-bad ones, every sin. And he ritually, he makes confession for all the people, and then he ritually transfers all of their sins onto the head of that animal. And then it's driven out into the wilderness at, at one point to make sure it didn't come back. They drove it over a cliff, so it fell to its death. That was later on. But when they first did this, they just let it out into the wilderness. But understand that Jesus came to do what both of these goats did. He was the sacrifice for the Lord, and he was the sin-bearer of the world. 
And whereas the Old Testament blood sacrifices had to be repeated more or less constantly, I mean, every year they had to do this ceremony, the blood of Jesus made a final once-for-all remission of all our sins. It's sufficient to cover the vilest of sins yesterday, today, and forever. Now, in our passage, Jesus indicates that there's a standard that he will use to separate the sheep and the goats. In Isaiah 58, the Lord castigated his people for putting on an external display of fasting while abusing and exploiting those in their charge. So the Lord asks them this, Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. That's Isaiah 58, 6 through 9. See, this is what Jesus is getting at in his roll call of justice in verse 34 and and following. Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Those who were honored this way react with befuddlement, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? They are seemingly unaware of doing anything special. That's the whole point. As you become more sanctified, more attuned to God's way of doing things, more aware of how God views this world he created, this sort of behavior becomes more natural, normal, in a habitual sort of way. An act of caring or of service becomes merely par for the course, and you don't even give it a second thought any longer. It's just what you do. See, that's exactly the attitude of living that God honors. To them, he says, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And the promise, the promise is eternal life for those who abide in his love. As for the others, the one who neither know nor care about the things of God, he says, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. 
and these will go away into eternal punishment. But the Lord always leaves us with good news. And this is how he ends his uh, passage in in, uh, Ezekiel 34. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. See, Jesus is our good shepherd who has laid down his life for the sheep and has taken it up again to establish himself as our Lord and Savior, tending to our needs and giving us an eternal hope. So, live your lives in a manner that doesn't cause a mess for others. Be considerate of how others feel about things. And don't aggressively bully your way past them to get what you desire. It's better to take it easy when you're tempted to lead with a shoulder while trying to get your own way. And it's much better to tread lightly when interacting with one another. Lest you muddy the water for your fellow sheep and for yourself in the bargain. Because in the final analysis, if you are a member of Jesus' flock, on the last day we are all going to the same place, and it will be glorious. And all of God's people say, Amen.